hear this Genesis 26, hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the earlier famine of Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. He thought, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, She's really your wife. Why'd you say she's my sister? Isaac answered him, Because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, What is this you've done to us? One of the men might well have slept with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the people. Anyone who molests this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that his father's servants had dug in that time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us, you've become too powerful for us. So Isaac moved away from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father Abraham, which the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same names his father had given them. Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. So he named the well Essek, because they disputed with him. Then they dug another well, but they quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. He moved on from there and dug another well, and no one quarreled over it. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room, and we will flourish in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord. There he pitched his tent, and there his servants dug a well. Meanwhile, 
Abimelech had come to him from Gerar with Ahuzah, his personal advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his forces. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me, since you were hostile to me and sent me away? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So we said, There ought to be a sworn agreement between us, between us and you. Let us make a treaty with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we did not molest you, but always treated you well and sent you away in peace. And now you are blessed by the Lord. Isaac then made a feast for them, and they ate and drank. Early the next morning, the men swore an oath to each other. Then Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. That day, Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and errant word. May you bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Amen. Now the good news is I'm not going verse by verse this morning. But I'm going to make, you're going to see there's going to be three main things I want to show you from the text. Um, obviously, because it's a very long passage. C.S. Lewis's book, Prince Caspian, one of the Chronicles of Narnia, has one of the most powerful quotes, literally, I've ever heard. Um, it just strikes me so deeply. Prince Caspian, in, the, in these, uh, these tales that C.S. Lewis tells, he finds out, he's in Narnia, and he finds out that his ancestors were just common pirates that kind of found their way into Narnia by mistake, as it were. And so this is what he says to Aslan. It's very interesting. He said, I was wishing that I came from a more honorable lineage. This is what Aslan says. You come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve. And that is both honor enough to erect the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. Be content. Now that's such a profound, succinct way of summing up the strange mixture, and it really is strange, of dignity and disgrace that characterize all of us as fallen human beings. That's why I love the quote. Because we're fallen, and yet at the same time, we're what? Created in the very image of the thrice holy God. Now, this helps to explain how humans can be capable of, right, some of the most noble, valiant actions, right? And at the same time, they can be capable of the most horrendous wickedness and unspeakable evil as we even heard in our prayer time. When God calls us into relationship with himself by his grace, we are also a mixture of a new nature, right? Being renewed more and more in the image of God, our creator. 
And also, we still have a sinful nature that dogs us every day and that is hostile to God. The Apostle Paul talks about this in great detail in Romans 6 to 8. If you ever want to look that up, that would be good for devotions maybe, Sunday afternoon. But even here in the very first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, we see, we see it playing out in Abraham's son Isaac, just as we did see it play out in Abraham's life, the father of all who believe. If I had to give a title to Genesis 26, I'd simply call it this, like father, like son. Because it seems a lot like an incident in Abraham's life. Actually, two incidents in Abraham's life because he did it twice. Now, that's the obvious area where like father, like son comes to play. And it's interesting, when you look at Isaac's attempt at doing what his dad did, he failed miserably. He didn't even pull it off as good as his, his old man did. He got caught. He was outside, in the text it says, sporting with his wife. And Abimelech's like, what the? Seeing out the window, as it were. He got caught. But Isaac doesn't only imitate his dad's worst qualities. And that's what really hit me really big this week as I was looking at this text. He also follows his dad's lead in faith, in worship, and in obedience. You know, isn't that what unbelievers do a lot? When they look at the church, what do they highlight? What? Our failures. When we fall. When we mess up. When we make a mistake. But they don't highlight the things that God is working in us for the good. If you don't believe me, watch the news. Look at your, your news feed. You know, do you ever see like those things? You're not going to see this on the news and it's something positive. But that's true, isn't it? So often. But when we look at this text, we see that even God's most choice servants are a mixture of faith and unbelief. They are a mixture of obedience and disobedience, a mixture of triumph and failure in this life. And of course, you know what that means. That means we are too. The best of us. Because nobody here is like Abraham. We're just his children, as it were. But more importantly, as we look at this text, we've seen it again and again in the book of Genesis, but when God repeats something over and over again, he's trying to tell us something. And what we're going to see here is that God himself is the real hero of the story. But the neat thing about this is God himself is the real hero of all of our stories, isn't he? And that came out and literally smacked me in the face this week. He will confirm his oath that he swore to Abraham. And Isaac was glad to know and to worship such a God. And I hope you are just as glad that you have a God that for his name's sake will keep his promises to you. Even when you stumble. Even when you fall. For my name's sake, the Bible says, I will deliver him. Because the beautiful thing about God is he can't lie. He's got to keep his promise. Even if it means death. Because as we know, it did mean death for him. To keep his promise. 
to be the Lord who will provide the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. He says, if I have to do this myself, I will keep my word. So what we're going to see this morning, as Isaac imitates his father's faith and failures, the glory of God's grace shines through like a beacon. It's a very simple message from a very long text. We're going to look at three things. First, we're going to see Isaac imitated Abraham's faith. Then we're going to see Isaac imitated Abraham's failure. And then we're going to see Isaac and his children, that's all believers, stand by God's grace alone. And aren't we glad for that? So let's take a look at the first one. Isaac imitated Abraham's faith. So as we read a few moments ago, it's interesting in the text that Moses, the author, makes sure he points this out. There was another famine in the land, just like the one that, when there was a, that, that Abraham lived in. So why does he point this out? Because he wants us to understand these are two different incidents. He doesn't want us to say, oh, the author got mixed up and, and, and he conflated two, no, because it happened so many times. No, this is a different famine. This isn't Abraham. This is his son. And just like his father before him, Isaac goes to Abimelech. And now Abimelech, we have to also understand this. Abimelech, this isn't the same Abimelech in Abraham's day, because this would have been one old guy. <laughs> so Abimelech can, it can be either one of two things. Either, all right, I'll put it this way. My name is Santo Garofolo. Guess what my dad's name was? Santo Garofolo. Guess what my grandpa's name was? Santo Garofolo. So that can get pretty confusing, right? So like when people would call the house, can I talk to Santo? You know what my mom used to do? This will wake you up. You want to talk to Big Santo or Little Santo? <laughs> and I'm like, Mom! But the point here, and some people think, even if it isn't a personal name, Abimelech was, was a title in Philistine, among the Philistines, just like Pharaoh is the title, so there were different Pharaohs, but still Pharaohs. Either way, this is a different guy. I just want you to see that. But the Lord appears to Isaac and specifically tells him, don't go down to Egypt. But live in the land where I will tell you to go and to live. And God commands him to stay where he is for now, which is Gerar. And then he had, we have the repeat of the promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12. But this time it's given to Isaac as the successor, as the heir of the promise, just like God promised. And he promises in short to bless him with what? I will make you a great nation. Right? You will have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And I will give you a what? A land. The land of promise. Now, Isaac is the carrier of the torch. And then, of course, he says to Isaac, through your offspring shall all nations on the earth be blessed. And we know this promise carries all the way down to who? Jesus, who is the son of Abraham, the offspring, the seed, through whom all nations are blessed. So that's the wonderful promise that God gives, um, re-gives to Isaac. But now notice there's something in the text I just couldn't skip over because, man, it stood out uh, very clearly to me. And that's in verse 5. Notice the reason God gives for why he's going to continue to bless Isaac. It's very interesting here. It's, it's almost unexpected. In verse 5, because Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. That, that should make you stand up for me. Now, first of all, remember, this is before the giving of the law. So what commands? What decrees? 
What laws? Well, I'll tell you, we've been reading through Genesis and studying through Genesis. We've seen what? What kind of commands did God give Abraham? Go, leave your country and your people to a land that I will tell you about. And what does it say Abraham did? Thought about it, prayed about it, played some duck. No. He went. He obeyed by faith. The command, remember when God said, I'm making a covenant with you. Every male in your house, eight days old, and all your servants have to be what? Circumcised. Abraham obeyed. No question. We can go on and on. There's a couple more I want to highlight. Remember what, what God says, um, why he chose Abraham to do what? To direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Genesis 18, 19. One more I want to point out, because we can't miss this one. When God told him to sacrifice his one and only son, Abraham got up early in the morning and went right to it. What do, what do we get from this? I hope you at least get this. We've seen it a number of times in Genesis, but repetition apparently God thinks is very good for us. You know, as preachers, we keep trying to say things fresh in new ways, but sometimes we just got to hear the message again, and that's this. True faith obeys. We are saved by faith alone, as the Reformers put it, but not a faith that is alone. You know, a quick look at Hebrews 11, for those of us who weren't with us when we saw this earlier in Genesis, very quickly, if you look at uh, the Hall of Faith, as it were, in Hebrews 11, it says what? By, by faith, Abel, what? Gave a better sacrifice. By faith, Noah, what? Built an ark in holy fear, right? By faith, Abraham did what? Went. Went. Do you notice those are verbs? Faith is not inactive. If you have a full trust in the Lord who will provide the lamb, it comes out. It's a fruit. For all these people, you have to be careful of professing justification by faith alone and not showing it in our lives by obeying God's word. You're justified by faith, you're going to live by faith. And God says, my servant did that. My covenant partner trusted me. And it showed in his life. Now, it's interesting to note, when God first called Abraham, he called him to leave his country. Remember that? To go to a land that he would show him. This time, what does he tell Isaac to do? Don't go. What does he tell him? Stay. For all of Isaac's foibles and defects, as we're going to see in a moment, the one thing we do see is that he was a man of faith just like his father before him. He responded to God's word with faith. He trusted and he obeyed. Now, now, why was that such a big deal? It's easy. There's a famine in the land. There's no water. What's the logical thing? Go to Egypt, man. Right? And God says, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to stay right where you are. I'll take care of you. And he trusted and he obeyed. You know, one of my favorite scenes in the Star Wars movies. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm not a deep Star Wars geek like my son Caleb, but I gotta say, I like the original three a lot. But I remember when they were trying to get Luke to turn. You remember that? Oh, give in to the hate. That ugly, oh, and that guy's back supposedly, oh. Anyway, 
And I love what Luke does. He's really mad. He's really ticked. You think he's going to go after the guy? And he turns off his lifesaver. And it always makes him cry. He takes it. He throws it down. He goes, I'll never turn. I'm a Jedi, like my father before me. And it always just breaks me down. Because finally, after all those movies, he's a Jedi, right? <laughs> but here, we see Isaac. It doesn't look as dramatic, but you have to understand Isaac is saying, I'm a believer, like my father before me. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I don't want you to miss that, because we're going to see in a moment uh, you know, some of the mess-ups he had. But, but overall, he's a man of faith. Now, remember that old Clash song, some of us who are older like me? Should I stay or should I go? I got the answer to that song. Whatever God tells you. If he tells you to stay, you better not move. If he tells you to go, you better get going. You know, because when the Lord gets ready, what? You got to move. Isaac was a man of faith. And there's one other example. Told you we're going to just summarize and do a little fast forward into verse 24 to show his faith. And it's a powerful one. Look at verse 24 with me. It's the second time God appeared to him. That night the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you, and I will increase the number of your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. Look at verse 25. Isaac built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. Does that sound familiar to any of us who have been through Genesis? Who did that like three or four times that we know? Abraham. Whenever God appeared to him and gave him a promise, he went and built an altar and he worshipped on his face. And this is an important lesson for all of God's people to learn in any age. Worship is our response to God's revelation of himself through his very great and precious promises. In other words... In case it's not hitting you, you're like, yeah. In other words, we don't worship as a way to get God to notice us. Hello? You know, like other false religions, they'll cut themselves, they jump up, they do all these things hoping their God will notice them. We don't come to worship to think we're going to placate God's wrath. Well, maybe he won't be mad at me anymore if I go to church. You know, when I grew up, it was always, go to church. It's your duty. You know, God will bless you. But what do we see in the Bible? No, we go to church. We worship both privately and publicly because God has blessed us. Do you see the difference? The difference is God has revealed himself to us through Jesus Christ and he has preached peace to our souls. He has redeemed us <coughs> through the blood of his son. And so we don't worship out of duty, we worship out of joy. And you know, sometimes, and I think this, this is something we need to remember. Sometimes we worship because it's good for us, and that's true, isn't it? We have the means of grace, we have the fellowship of the saints, we have the word preached, we have a time of prayer. But actually, that should be secondary to the real reason that we come to worship. And that is to express gratitude and adoration and praise and worship for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And the fact that 
Every promise that was ever given, the Apostle Paul tells us, is yes in Christ Jesus. In other words, if you're a believer, these promises are for you today. I am with you, and I will bless you. Now, I, I like ripping sermons just like the next guy. I like slam and praise music. I like great fellowship. But sometimes we need a spiritual realignment. You know when your car gets out of line and it's turning one way and going right to the left instead of straight? Well, sometimes we need a spiritual realignment. And we have to remember, we've come here to commune with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Who gives a rip what the music sounds like? Who gives a rip if the sermon's entertaining or not? Someone once put it this way. The time when I was converted is when religion became no longer a duty, but a pleasure. It's funny, when Jesus saved me, you couldn't keep me out of the church. Before Jesus saved me, my mom was like pulling teeth trying to get me to go to church. And once I came to know Jesus, I was pulling other people like, hey, how come you ain't coming? All right, so Isaac imitated his father's faith. We had to see that. But secondly, Isaac imitated Abraham's failure. Now, we read the story together a few minutes ago, and I'm sure we all groaned inwardly as we heard how Isaac fell into the same sin his father had fallen into twice, trying to pass his wife off as his sister, putting his wife's purity at risk, right? And not only that, maybe possibly bringing judgment on a people instead of blessing. And I think what we see here is this. We as humans, and even as redeemed humans, Christians, this side of the cross, we can be walking contradictions, can't we? How many times we look at each other, we look at somebody, we hear, we read about something, man, that guy's a believer, how, did, how could he do such a thing? Well, Isaac was no exception. Like his and we see also that, that Jacob was no exception either. We're going to see his life as well. But now we see Abimelech calling him out. Why have you done this thing to me? You're, in other words, what? You're supposed to be a worshiper of the one true God. And yet you're going to do this to me. How sad it is when men of the world have to call out men of faith for failing to live according to God's word, right? There's a quote I've quoted before that keeps me hopeful. He says this, Eric Sauer. If you wish to be disappointed, look to others. If you wish to be downhearted, look to yourself. If you wish to be encouraged, look upon Jesus Christ. And I gotta admit, that's why this passage has been hard for me. It's kind of hard to face one of my heroes, right? Isaac would stoop to this. So instead of dwelling on this, I just want to say something. I want to say this. And a very important truth. Now let's be honest. Now this was powerful when God showed me this. As we followed Abraham's story, and now the story of his son, and then we'll see in his grandson, how often we have asked ourselves, how could he have done this unethical or cowardly thing 
And I find myself thinking, well, sure, he succumbed to unbelief in this moment and, and fear. But overall, he did a lot of good things. You ever find yourself thinking that? So I start trying to, okay, well, he did do this. And I, and I find myself doing this weighing thing. Sound familiar? Here's the good stuff he did. And here's the bad stuff he did. And then I, and then I, I do the whole, I should have had a V8. I realize <laughs> this is what? This is works-oriented religion at its finest. Thinking that if our good deeds outweigh our bad deeds, then maybe God will accept us. Then maybe we'll make it to heaven. But that's not what's going on here, thank God. Abraham and Isaac were men of faith, saved, quote-unquote from Titus 3.5, not because of righteous things they had done, but because of God's mercy. So when you look at this story, hopefully now you see it a little differently. It's not a matter of weighing good and bad. It's a matter that it was purely a gift of God's mercy from beginning to end. Despite the times of embarrassing failure, their moments of giving into weakness, what Paul pointed out later in Romans is still true. Where sin abounded, what? Grace superabounded. That's the Greek. Superabounded. That's awesome. Because then we see this in verse after this incident, verse 12 to 14. Isaac planted crops in that land and the same year reaped a hundredfold. Do you know what a hundredfold is? Like a hundred times more. Like that's ridiculous. Reaped a hundredfold. Because the, why? Because the Lord blessed him. And now I want to come to our final point, and it's the heart of the message of Genesis 26. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for showing this to me. Um, and that's this. Isaac and his children, that's you and me, stand by God's grace alone. Three times God says something that I don't know if you picked it up when we first read it, but I want to point it out to you. Verse 3, he says, I will be with you and bless you. Remember that? Verse 24, do not be afraid. I am with you and I will bless you. Then verse 28, Abimelech says, the Lord was with you, and you are blessed by the Lord. See, before the incident of Isaac stumbling, God told him that he would be with him, and he would bless him. And then after the incident of the well digging trials, which I'm not going to get long into that, but if you noticed, right, he's being blessed, but then he goes to dig the well, and you remember what happened? The Philistines disputed. So after they did all that work, they finally get water. Sorry, you can't drink of it. So they go to the next one. What happens? The same thing. So listen, you need to understand something. Being rich ain't everything. Because guess what happens if you ain't got water? Rich people die just as quick if they can't drink water. And so there was a great trial of faith even in the midst of his blessing that he had a Continue to trust God. And what does God say? I am with you. Do not fear. Now, when we give the glory to God, people will often say things like, oh, you're being modest. And they'll encourage us to take, come on, you got to take some credit. But notice in the text, even a pagan king has to admit, Isaac, you're blessed by who? The Lord. It's the Lord who's done this. What a rebuke to the church. 
when the world has to say, man, anything good came out of you, mess. That's the Lord. How much more should we agree? And notice how important it is to God because he repeats it over and over again. I am with you. I will be with you. I am with you. Do not fear. Now, why do you think God is so repetitive? You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm reading, I'm going to be, I'm very honest behind this pulpit sometimes, maybe painfully so. But sometimes when I'm reading, I'm like, okay, I got it. You know, when you're like your parent says something over, you're like, ma, I got it. Well, I'll tell you exactly why. God repeats it three times. Have you ever blown it? Do you ever get this great promise, I am with you, don't fear, just trust me, I'm going to get you through, and then you turn around and do something knuckleheaded? D does that promise alone keep you going? No, what you need is what? Reassurance. You need to know that God's still with you. Um, maybe we shouldn't have to know that. We should take it by faith. But God is so gracious. He's so condescending. He's saying, Isaac, I know you just messed up, but I told you. I'm with you. And I'm with you in, on this till the very end. You know, like when you're married, like the way it's supposed to be? Listen, honey, for what? For better, for worse. God made a covenant, and he's going to keep it. And he's so good, he's so kind, he's so merciful, he's willing to repeat it. And what about us after we've blown it? We didn't live up to our high calling in Christ Jesus. It's then that God reiterates to us, I am with you. Do not be afraid. One uh, quote from one commentator that I read, Ronald Youngblood, he puts it this way. The Lord, the Lord appeared to him again and said to him, do not be afraid, for I am with you. God's promise to be with us is repeated often in the Bible. When we are at our spiritual best, we want that kind of relationship with him. And he desires such fellowship with us. When Jesus appointed his 12 disciples, the first reason for that appointment was that they might be with him. The joy of love is to be with those we love. So isn't it an awesome thing when God says, I'm with you? I'm yours. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. You can count on my presence. Grace is all over this chapter of Scripture. And I believe as we look at the chapter that draws our attention to Isaac's failure in imitation, imitating his father, it's found in a surprising place. A couple more things and we'll close. Look again at how God characterizes his servant and his friend, Abraham, in verse 5. Remember what he said? Abraham obeyed me and kept my requirements, my commands, my decrees, and my laws. Now, did you notice something in that statement? There's some things missing. You following me? In other words, there's no mention of him trying to sell his wife down the river twice. There's no mention of any of his other mistakes, his other sins, his other... Oh, there's no mention, for instance, of him um, lying with his wife's servant in order to try to push the promise along. None of that's mentioned. The only thing God says about him is what? He kept my laws, my decrees... Now here's the question. How could God say this 
about Abraham? I'll tell you how. Because God looks at him, he looks at you, and he looks at me in Christ through the lens of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And he says, Santo kept my law. And I'm dumbfounded. Because my heart tells me too many times about the times I didn't. And Jesus says, no, to me, you're holy. And here's the thing about the law. The law is not a bad thing. The law is a good thing. The, the law becomes a bad thing when you look at it as a way to earn God's favor. Or if you look at it as a way to be accepted by God, if I work hard, God will forgive me. And God, then, then the law becomes a curse. Because here's the point. You want to, go to, you want to come to me that way, God says? Now I am going to say perfection. Now I am going to say, all right, let's point out the times you didn't do it. Thankfully, God has the other way, the covenant of grace. And it's through the, the obedience of Jesus, not ours. His life, his death. Resurrection. You know, I, I always love this one illustration. I'm going to bring it up another time here. But uh, in, in a forgiving God in an unforgiving world, Ron Lee Davis tells this true story of a priest in the Philippines. I love this. He was a much-loved man of God. He carried the burden in his life of a secret sin that he had committed many years ago. And he, he repented of it, but he still couldn't get any peace. No sense of God's forgiveness. Now, I love this. In his parish was a woman who deeply loved God and who claimed to have visions in which she spoke with Christ and he with her. The priest, however, was skeptical, as he probably should have been. That was my idea. But <laughs> to test her, he said, the next time you speak with Christ, I want you to ask him what sin your priest committed while he was in seminary. The woman agreed. A few days later, the priest asked, well, did Christ visit you in your dreams? Yes, he did, she said. And did you ask him what sin I committed in seminary? Yes, I did, she replied. Well, what did he say? She said, he said, I don't remember. That's what's going on here. I don't remember. You will forgive us our sins and will remember our sins, what? No more. That's the covenant. As we come to a close, we, we are, this, this chapter closes out with a very strange last two verses. When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Beeri the Hittite, and also Basemath, daughter of Elon the Hittite. They were a source of grief to Isaac and Rebekah. Now, you may recall some of us were here, but I'll tell you if you weren't. At the end of chapter 25, it says this. So Esau despised his birthright. And what we see here is this. You know how, like father, like son, Isaac and Abraham? Well, here is the opposite example where it's not like father, like son. You have Esau, who was a rank unbeliever, who did not trust in the Lord of his father, the God of his father, 
who could care less about the covenant promises of life in a future world where righteousness reigns or the presence of God with him now, he despised it. And the fruit of his life was what? Marrying not one, but two pagan women, not women of faith or women of the covenant. And it says very clearly here that um, they were a grief to Isaac and Rebekah. And, and what believing parent doesn't know that if this type of circumstance happens? It's painful. It's very painful. What we see here in chapter 26, and this is what I'm closing with, you have to ask yourself sometimes, why is this chapter here? Right? We're going through Genesis. That's what I was talking about earlier. I'm like, and why is this here? Well, I believe um, Dick Lucas's successor in England from St. Helens, the pastor there, pointed something out to me I'd never seen before, and I agree with him wholeheartedly. You know why this chapter is here? Because it wants to show us this is what Esau rejected. He rejected this relationship with God, the relationship that we see Isaac has throughout this whole chapter, relationship of God's grace, God being with him and blessing him. Esau threw it away. He threw it all away. If you don't believe me, look at the next chapter, because what does that tell us? It talks about the inheritance, right? And how Jacob takes it from Esau. Now I close by saying this for those who point out they love to point out the sins of God's people they need to remember this we're all in the same boat yeah you're right God's people have sins but so do you and what are you going to do about it in other words will you turn to the Lord in faith because that's the only place you're going to find forgiveness and new life and, and to be an heir with Christ someday in heaven or you continue to be a mocker and a despiser and not face God as a God of grace and mercy someday but as your righteous judge and I leave that with you to just go before the Lord today and ask yourself that question am I ready to meet him have I put my faith in the lamb that he's provided cover my sin. Let's pray. Father, how filled with unbelief we sometimes are. Not trusting that you will take care of us just as you promised. How often we take matters in our own hands. How often we look at your word and we, we don't understand it so we think we could just skip over things. And yet you are such a good God. You're such a merciful God. And this chapter has revealed to us and opened up to us your heart of mercy, your covenant of grace, the fact that indeed you will carry on to completion the work that you began in us. And we pray, Father, we pray that as we speak your words of life, as we try to be witnesses by your grace, we pray that many more here in Atlantic City and in our lives around us would come to trust in the God of all grace and find the salvation that he promises all who will trust in Abraham's offspring, the Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.